Well, that's a better response than the early service. You guys are awake. How many of you are morning people? Let me see your hand. How many of you are like me and you'd rather wake up at noon? Let me see your hand. These three services starting at 8 o'clock. I don't even think God's awake at 8 o'clock. What a privilege it is for me to be with you here in the great state of Louisiana and to be with two of the best pastors in the Assemblies of God. Chris and Megan Fry are doing an absolutely phenomenal job. And I will tell you, as I told the early service, I oftentimes call your pastor and ask for his advice and ask for his take on particular happenings and scenarios. He's a great man of God who is leading you in the right direction. And let me just say what he won't say. We're never going to apologize for asking you for money. When will you stop asking us for money? When Jesus comes. Because until Jesus comes, the work of the kingdom must continue. Come on, saints. I understand that there are people in ministry that have manipulated people and made money a taboo subject. That doesn't change the fact that it takes money to do the work of spreading the gospel. And I appreciate this man of God casting the vision and growing this church, expanding your borders. And I honestly believe that your best days are yet to come. Do you believe that this morning? Your best days are yet to come. I want you to be looking with me at the Gospel of St. Luke. While you're turning there, let me send to you regards from my wife, Tasha, and our 16-year-old son, or soon-to-be 16-year-old son, Hagen Samuel, and our 12-year-old daughter, Addison May. Now understand that not only have I known your pastor and his family for a number of years now, first meeting them in the great state of Texas, but I have also known your children's pastor and her husband, and my daughter thinks Lydia hung the moon. <laughs> I have preached numerous camp meetings in the northern part of the state where they were uh, making their place of residence and working at the church, and Addison just loves, 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 loves Lydia. So now I was in that church not long ago preaching a very large camp meeting, and uh, one of the greatest sermon illustrations I have ever seen in my almost 25 years now of traveling across the nation occurred. So I want to share it with you because I want you to pay attention. Man, you guys are tough. I want you to pay attention. I want you to hear what's about to be said. And I understand that oftentimes, as I sit where you are sitting, that we don't pay attention. Y'all say amen. amen. Oftentimes, we are half here. We are half somewhere else. We're half in this room. We're half in yesterday's concerns or tomorrow's affairs or thinking about what we're going to have to eat at lunch and our minds are in a million and one places. So not long ago while preaching this meeting in the northern part of the state, I preached Sunday morning. My good friend who is the general overseer of the Church of God, Dr. Tim Hill, was preaching Sunday night. I was seated on the platform with all of 
the ministers. I looked out to my right, would have been in this section, my wife Tasha, my son Hagen, my daughter Addison, the pastor's wife, and a number of others. And right in the middle of Dr. Hill's sermon, I noticed my daughter had laid her head over on her mother's shoulder, closed her eyes, and went into that unconscious state. She was half present, half absent. Some of you are there right now. <laughs> and Tim began to address heavy subject matter. The room began to get tense. It began to get tight. See, the, the great barometer of good preaching is not how many people are shouting. The great barometer is when people say nothing. That means you're preaching where they live. They're uncomfortable now. You're talking, you're not talking. You know, it's easy to shout when you're talking about him and her, but when you start talking about me. And when it gets tight like that, Dr. Hill will insert a line of humor that I've heard him use on numerous occasions. He will stop and say something like this. I mean, it's he's I mean, he is plowing deep. It is tight. And he will stop and say, I can't tell if I'm mad or if I'm anointed. And some people will laugh and chuckle, and it kind of breaks the tension in the room. So he did just that. He stopped and used that line. He said, I can't tell if I'm mad or if I'm anointed. And when he did, I noticed my 12-year-old daughter. Her head popped up. Her eyes were big. She looked at her mother and said something. And when she did, the whole section here just roared in laughter. I mean, they went crazy. I thought, what did that girl say? So immediately after the sermon ended, I went to Tasha. I said, what did Addison say to you when Tim said he couldn't tell if he was mad or anointed? She said, oh, her head popped up. She looked at me and said, Mom, did you hear that preacher? He just said he can't tell if he's a man or a woman. <laughs> so for goodness sake, will you wake up and listen to what I've got to say today? Luke chapter 12. I'm glad you're laughing now because the subject matter at hand is quite weighty. Luke chapter 12, verse number 1. Meanwhile, when thousands of the crowd were assembled so as to trample on one another, he began to say to his disciples first, Beware of the yeast of the Pharisees, which is hypocrisy. For there is nothing covered that will not be revealed, or hidden that will not be known. Therefore, what you have said in the darkness will be heard in the light, and what you have whispered in the ear in private rooms will be proclaimed on the housetops. Verse number four, I say to you, my friends, do not be afraid of those who kill the body. And after that can do no more. But I will warn you whom you shall fear. Fear him who after he has killed has power to cast into hell. Yes, I say to you, fear him. These are the words of Jesus. The same mouth that said, John 3, 16, for God so loves the world, now says to you, fear him who has the power to cast into hell. Now I want to teach for a few moments this morning on this subject. Hell has disappeared. 
and no one has bothered to notice. Hell has disappeared and no one has bothered to notice. Father, help us in the next few moments. Come on, saints, pray with me. Help us, Lord, because that which is at stake is of such value. The souls of men, the souls of women, the souls of not only those seated in this sanctuary, but those of their families, their friends, and their communities. Now weigh in the balance. Illuminate this horrible reality of hell in our minds. And may it serve as a motivator that we would be right with God personally, that we would live holy, righteous, sober lives, and that we would do everything within our power to reach others while there is yet time. We'll ask it all in Christ's name, and everyone said, Amen. Amen. There's not a day that goes by that you and I do not hear the word hell used as a byword. We hear things in everyday communication like hell yes, hell no. What the hell are you doing? Who the hell do you think you are? Where the hell are you going? And one of the worst statements, in my opinion, in all of the English vernacular or verbiage is when one person tells another, you can go to hell. They have no concept of what they're saying, no idea of the biblical reality. I use those opening terms for shock factor. Some of you have never heard such terminology used behind a pulpit. Not only does it shock people, but I always see people smile and people chuckle when I open with, that, with those few lines, and it proves my illustration that we have become desensitized to the subject matter at hand. Hear this evangelist, hell is no joke. Hell is a biblical reality. And we must come back to the complete and total biblical understanding of this place, lest, number one, we allow ourselves to slip into its clutches. And number two, that we lose our motivation to evangelize the lost as rapidly as possible. Let me read to you the mentality of many in this world concerning the subject matter of hell. I read to you first a quote from the great and famed poet Mark Twain, who said, go to heaven for the climate, go to hell for the company. Multi-billionaire Ted Turner was quoted as saying, I'd rather go to hell. Heaven has got to be boring. The famed country and western artist Hank Williams Jr. had a hit song. I read to you now its chorus line. If heaven ain't a lot like Dixie, I don't want to go. If heaven ain't a lot like Dixie, I'd just as soon stay home. If they don't have a grand old opera like they do in Tennessee, just send me to hell or New York City. It would be all the same to me. Famed actor and comedian Jim Carrey said, maybe there is no actual place called hell, 
Maybe hell is just having to listen to our grandparents breathe through their noses when they're eating sandwiches. ACDC would write a rock and roll song, don't need reason, don't need rhyme. Ain't nothing I'd rather do going down party time. My friends are going to be there too. Hey, Satan paid my dues. Playing in a rock band, hey, mama, look at me. I'm on my way to the promised land. I'm on the highway to hell. We listen to that. We take part in that, whether it be through writings, through movies, through songs, and we wonder why we are desensitized to the reality of this place. Hell is no joke. I want to take you for a few moments this morning in my teaching. I'm not going to be allowed to really preach this morning, but I want to take you and teach to you about the subject matter so that you can have a biblical view of this place, so that you can understand its dangers, its perils, and so that you can be motivated to reach others for the cause of Christ. First and foremost this morning, I want you to see the position of hell. It's a literal place. I said it's a literal place. We have preachers in the church that even now question this. They deny its realities. One of our most well-known Pentecostal preachers from many years ago, an African-American brother from the great state of Oklahoma, the city of Tulsa, Carlton Pearson, has now bought into the heresy that there is no place called hell. Carlton Pearson is wrong. I said Carlton Pearson is wrong. There is a place called hell. Where is this place? Where is its position? According to Jesus, in the Gospel of Matthew, the, 20, uh, the 12th chapter, rather, verse number 40, Jesus said, Just as Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of the whale, so shall the Son of Man be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. Hell is somewhere in the center of planet earth. We also read behind the Apostle Paul as he writes to the church at Ephesus in Ephesians chapter 4, and he says to the Ephesians that before Christ ascended into heaven, now we're talking post-resurrection. This is after Jesus was crucified and resurrected from the dead. Paul says before he ascended into heaven and was seated at the right hand of God, he first, everybody say first, he first descended into the bowels of the heart of the earth. He went to hell before he went to heaven. He went to hell for a purpose that I will relate to you momentarily. Most Christians are not familiar with the fact that the Bible teaches that hell has five different compartments, five different chambers, five different rooms, if you allow me to use such terminology. You need to make reference of these rooms and understand their various purposes. Number one, 2 Peter teaches us in the second chapter of the book that bears the author's name about a place called Tartarus. This is a place where according to 2 Peter chapter 2, where a certain segment or percentage of the angelic host that rebelled against God with Satan, committed a particular act of sin. 
that was so heinous, so evil, so horrible, that God sent them into this particular chamber of hell called Tartarus where they are held captive even to this particular moment in time. Number two, there's a second compartment, a room in hell called paradise. Now that seems hard to believe, does it not? That a place in, paradise, in hell would be labeled paradise, but that's exactly what Jesus calls it. As a matter of fact, I'll do something with you in this service that I did not take the time to do in the first service. I want you to look with me in the Gospel of Luke at the 16th chapter. The 16th chapter of Luke, some four chapters removed from our chief text. Verse number 19 says, There was a certain rich man which was clothed in purple and fine linen. He fared sumptuously every day. There was a certain beggar named Lazarus which was laid at the gate full of sores desiring to be fed with the crumbs which fell from the rich man's table. Moreover, the dogs came and licked his sores. And it came to pass that the beggar died and was carried by the angels into Abraham's bosom. Underline that in your Bible. It's the same as paradise. The rich man also died and was buried. Verse 23, And in hell he lifted up his eyes, being in torment, and sees Abraham afar off and Lazarus in his bosom. And he cried and said, Father Abraham, have mercy on me, and send Lazarus that he may dip the tip of his finger in water and cool my tongue, for I am tormented in this flame. But Abraham said, Son, remember that in, the life, in this lifetime you received good things, and likewise Lazarus evil things. But now he is comforted and you are tormented. And beside all this, between us and you, there is a great gulf. Underline that in your Bible. Highlight that. Fixed. So that they which would pass from here to you cannot. Neither can they pass to us that would come from there. Then he said, I pray, therefore, Father, that you would send him to my father's house. For I have five brothers that he may testify to them lest they come to this place of torment. He said, if you can't give me any relief from my torment, at least send Lazarus back and tell my five brothers, get right with God, don't come here. Get right with God, don't come here. And notice the response of Abraham in verse 29. Abraham said, they have Moses and the prophets, let them hear them. What's he saying? They have the word of God. Hear me this morning. I'm talking to you about a place that's in the Word of God. He said, they have the Word of God, let them hear it. And notice what he goes on to say. He says, no, Father Abraham, in verse 30, but if one went from them unto the dead, they would repent. And he said unto them, if they hear not Moses and the prophets, neither will they be persuaded, though one rose from the dead. Man, that's a message in and of itself. If you won't hear the Bible, if you won't hear the Word of God, there was one that rose from the dead. His name was Jesus Christ. But people that won't hear the Word of God will not hear the Lord Jesus Christ either. They won't be persuaded. So here we have this place called paradise. Now let me talk to you about it for just a moment. Jesus is hanging between two thieves, three crosses, Jesus is in the middle. Is that correct? These two thieves are there. Both of them at first reject him. One later would accept him. And the thief that accepts, accepts him says to him, Lord, when you come into your kingdom, remember me. And Jesus responds, this day, today, you will be with me where? In paradise. 
And we often misinterpret that to think paradise is heaven. That's not true. How do we know it's not true? Ephesians 4 tells us it's not true because before he went to heaven, he went where? To hell. Before he ascended, he first descended into hell. Now, why did he go to hell? One of the main reasons he went there is because of paradise or Abraham's bosom. It's the same place. Who's in Abraham's bosom? All of the Old Testament saints. Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, David, Ezekiel, Jeremiah, Isaiah. The list goes on and on. They are the Old Testament saints, Job, that believed in a coming Redeemer. They put their faith. They didn't understand all of the purposes of God. But as Job said, I believe my Redeemer lives. And one day before him I will stand. They believed in a coming Redeemer, and because they placed their faith in this coming Redeemer, they were saved. But because the blood of Christ had not yet been spilled, because the Lamb of God had not taken away the sins of the world, they couldn't go to heaven. So they went to hell when they died, but they don't go to the suffering part of hell. They go into this holding compartment or waiting room, if you would like to look at it that way. And there they are waiting. What are they waiting on? They're waiting on the fullness of time. They're waiting on the coming Savior, the coming Messiah. They're waiting on the plan of God to reach full fruition. And when Jesus was crucified, he descends into hell and does what? According to Ephesians 4, he leads captivity captive. Those that had been captive all of this time, awaiting his crucifixion, he frees them or, or he looses them from paradise or Abraham's bosom. In Revelation 1, he shows up and says what? I have the keys to death and to hell. He showed up and said, hey, guys, guess what? I've got the key y'all have been waiting on for a long, long time. I'm the one that has fulfilled the plan of God, and he unlocked the door, swung it open wide, and led them on high, according to Ephesians 4. There's a third compartment in hell called Sheol. It is the suffering side of hell. It's where the rich man would awaken in the parable that I read to you a moment ago. The beggar awakened in paradise or Abraham's bosom. The rich man awakened in Sheol, the tormenting side. When people die now, this is their destination. They immediately, if they don't know Christ, awaken just as, what was it, verse 23? And in hell, he lifted up his eyes in torment it's that quick it's a tormenting side number four there is this gulf between them right is that what Luke said there's an impassable gulf this is called the abyss in your Bible it's referenced as the bottomless pit Revelation 9 it's talked about that one day an angel pastor's been teaching you on Revelation. One day an angel's going to come. He's going to come with what? A key. Again, notice the keys of hell. He's going to come with another key of hell, another key to another room. He's going to unlock that bottomless pit and loose what the Bible describes as locusts, demon spirits that are going to go out and torment the constituents of planet Earth. Number five, you have the final compartment called the lake of fire. 
One day, all four previously mentioned compartments and all the inhabitants thereof are going to be taken and thrown into the fifth and final compartment, which is the lake of fire. Okay? That's the place or the position of hell. Number two, let's notice the purpose of hell. Hell has a purpose. It's a purpose that was designed by God. Understand, we mistakenly believe that hell is the devil's kingdom. Know this, the devil has never been to hell. Never. And has no desire to go there. This Halloween mentality that hell is somehow designed and ruled under the dominion of Satan is ridiculous and unbiblical. He's never been to hell and doesn't want to go to hell, but will one day eternally inhabit the place called hell. Hell was designed by God. It's a part of God's kingdom. We don't think of it that way, but it is. It's a part of God's kingdom. Why or how was it designed? It was designed, according to the Gospel of Matthew, for the devil and the fallen angels that threw in their lot with him. So what does that mean? It means this, that God never intended for one human being to go to hell. Y'all say amen. amen. God never intended for one man, one woman, one boy, one girl, one family, one city, one tribe, one village, one nation. He never intended for any of them to go to hell. His intentions for hell was singularly for the devil and his angels. Hell has a purpose designed by God. Number three, notice the population of hell. I place the population behind the purpose because I want you to see the dichotomy. I want you to see the difference. I want you to see the irony. The irony is this. The irony is I just told you that God never intended for any human being to go to hell. Here's the irony. Most human beings will go there. I take no pleasure in saying that. I, I don't come with some, with some badge of self-righteousness when I say that. I say that because it's a biblical reality. I say that because it's exactly what Jesus said. Jesus said, broad is the way that leads to destruction. Let me paraphrase it for you. Jesus says in Matthew 7, verses 13 and 14, wide is the road that leads to hell, and many travel it. Narrow is the path that leads to heaven, and few will find it. Is that what he said? Is that what he said? You better settle that in your mind and heart. What he said is the way it will be. It's not because God designed it that way. Understand, we don't believe in this Calvinistic viewpoint that God's predetermined who goes to heaven and who goes to hell. No, I want to stop and say that in this service. We don't believe that God's predetermined that you go to heaven and you go to hell. And there's nothing you can do to change that. There are many in the church that believe that. That's wrong. God doesn't predetermine the individual destiny of, of persons. What God has predetermined is the individual destiny of groups of persons. What God has predetermined is that everyone who accepts Christ will go to heaven. And what God has predetermined is everybody else or everyone that rejects Christ will go to hell. He's predetermined that. 
That's what he's predetermined. He's already decided that. Now, we as individuals have free moral will. We get to decide what group am I going to identify with. Most of the human race will go there. Not only will most of the human race go there, but... (laughs) I think it's going to be so interesting, Paige, when we get to heaven. I think it's going to be so interesting because if we get there, and I I do really think that that condition needs to be there, if you make it, he that endures to the end, the Bible says the same shall be saved. If you make it there, and you can make it. Y'all say amen. amen. You can make it. But if you get there, I'm convinced of this. We're going to look around for people that we, we would have sworn are going to be in heaven, and we're going to say, where, where are they? Where are they? I just knew they'd be here. And I'm also convinced that when we get to heaven, sis, we're going to look around, and we're going to be very surprised at some people we thought for sure weren't going to be there. the grace of God there's nothing like it I said the grace of God is nothing like it there's nothing like it nothing like it the tragedy of the population of hell is in my opinion the majority of people in hell the greatest group will not be criminals and brigands and drunks and drug addicts and prostitutes. The greatest population in hell will be religious people. It'll be religious people. It'll be, it'll be Muslims. It'll be Buddhists. It'll, it'll be people who claimed Christianity but did not know Christ. And what a tragedy for religious people who have convinced themselves they're not going there to wake up to the realization that they've missed it. Hell has a position. Hell has a purpose. Hell has a population. Let's move on quickly. Let's look at hell's punishments. Let's look at hell's punishments. Understand with me this morning that hell's punishments are not for the purpose of rehabilitation. Hell's punishments are for the purpose of retribution. God is loving. God is love. No, you didn't do it. God is not merely loving. He is love. But God is also righteous and just. And His righteousness demands justice. And he will one day pour out his retribution on the inhabitants of hell. What are these punishments? Numerous, listed all throughout the scripture. Number one, in hell you will be fully conscious. There is no, there is no soul sleep. There is no intermediate state. There is no annihilationism. You know, there are people that believe once you die, you just, it's like an eraser. God just rubs you out. No, no, no. You will live forever. You will live forever and you will receive your reward one way or the other. You'll be fully conscious. Number two, hell's a place of perpetual eternal darkness. Number three, it's a place of separation. 
separation from loved ones, separation from friends, and above all, separation from God. Number four, it's a place of eternal fire. Number five, it's a place where the worm does not die. Number six, it's a place of weeping. Number seven, it's a place of gnashing of teeth. Number eight, according to Revelation 14 and 11, hell is a place where the anger of God will be eternally vented. Oftentimes, we focus on God's love and God's mercy and God's grace. And I said a moment ago, the grace of God, there's nothing like it. But understand, God has anger. And he will vent it toward unrighteousness. The punishments of hell. Let's look at hell's protraction. How long? How long? How, how, how long will this be protracted? How, how long will this last? Again, I want to reiterate, even now as I did to the early service, that I know I'm in Catholic country, but the Catholics are wrong when they teach that there's a place called purgatory. There's no place called purgatory. There's a place called hell. There's no place called purgatory. There's no, there's no, there's no temporary stay in hell. God doesn't put you there for a while until you learn your lesson and then you graduate out. You won't find that in the Bible. No, when he puts you there, he puts you there forever. He puts you there for eternity. Now, there are people that wrestle with this. There are people that, that cannot either follow Christ or they begin to pick and choose what parts of the Bible they believe and disbelieve because they, oh, well, I just can't believe that a loving God would put somebody in a place of torment forever. I just can't believe that. That's fine. You don't have to believe it, but it doesn't change it. Come on, saints. No, let's get back to the Word of God being the authority. You see, that's where, we, that's where we're missing it, and that's where we need to communicate to our people again. You can believe the moon is made of Swiss cheese. You have every right to believe that, but it doesn't change the reality. Come on. You see, we equate what people think. We equate our thinking with God's Word. What you think doesn't matter. What I think doesn't matter. What matters is what does the book say? The book says let God's word be true and every man a liar. There's no place called purgatory. You don't, you don't get in and get out. It's for eternity. Now we use that word and don't even know what it means. How can we know? How can we know what eternity means? How can we know, brother? Well, we were born on a timeline. All we know are seconds that turn into minutes, minutes that turn into hours, hours that turn into days, days that turn into weeks, weeks that turn into months, months that turn into years, years that turn into decades, decades that turn into centuries. That's all we know. But one day time will be no more. And eternity will begin. It's forever. It's forever. Finally, I want you to see the prevention of hell. Because that's the question that should ring in everyone's mind. There are really two questions that should be springing up in everyone's spirit right now. Those two questions being, number one, how do I prevent myself from going there? That should be the first question in everybody's mind today. Number two, how do I prevent 
others from going there? How do I keep my mother from going there, evangelist, or my dad, or my son, or my daughter, or my brother, or my sister, or my aunt, my uncle? How do I keep my coworkers and my classmates? How do I keep my next door neighbor from going there? Listen, ladies and gentlemen, I know this message is troubling. I, I, Pastor, I told Pastor, Pastor, let me come in and preach something. You know, let me come in and get them shouting and running and dancing and falling over and laughing and crying. And I mean, let me have a good time. And he said, no, I want you to preach this. This is what God has, has laid on my heart. And, and I know this is uncomfortable, and I know this messes with you and I'm glad now hear me I'm glad I hope you can't sleep tonight I'm serious I hope it so turns you inside out that you can't sleep I hope it drives you to a place of intercession I hope it so messes you up that you get on your face and say God don't let people go to this horrible place called hell you see, that's another proof that we've lost. We've become desensitized because we just let people go to hell. So how do I keep from going there? How do I prevent myself from going there? Number one, according to Hebrews 11, by faith Noah, being warned of God, forewarned of God, about things not yet seen, moved with fear, prepared an ark to the saving of his house. You see, God does nothing until he warns us first. And God warns us about unseen things in unseen places. Y'all say amen. God warns us about unseen things in unseen places, and he warns us so the, that we, like Noah, might move with fear. You see, the fear of God is something that's absent in the church. The fear of God, I don't remember the exact count, but I can tell you the fear of the Lord is mentioned in your Bible over 365 times. And you don't ever hear it talked about. We treat God like he's some kind of basketball partner. I'll tell you something, God is a friend that sticks closer than a brother. He is, he is the lover of our soul, but he is not your average dude I'm telling you saints I, I, I go back to what I mentioned a moment ago we are deifying man and humanizing God we're deifying we're elevating man and human, we're bringing man up and God down and it's 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 resulted in all kinds of trouble in the church the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. Jesus said, fear him. Fear him. Be in awe of him. Understand, love him, adore him, obey him. But understand, he's not messing around. Nobody's going to get a hall pass. Nobody's going to get a second chance. You better thank God now is your second chance or your third or your 300th or your 3,000th. But when you get on that side of eternity, the die is cast. It's done. It's done. How do I prevent others from going there? I prevent others from going there understanding that they have free moral choice. They have a will. I can't make anybody go to heaven. If I could, I'd, listen, even God can't make people go to heaven. 
No, y'all didn't get that. God is not willing, the Bible says, that any perish, but that all come to repentance. But even God can't make people go to heaven. People have a choice. Our job is to do what? Go into all the world and preach the gospel. Our, our job is to give them the good news. What's the good news? The good news is you don't have to go to hell. There's a way out. I said, there's a way out. I want everybody to stand with me all across the auditorium. I want to close with what I believe is a powerful illustration. The 39th vice president of the United States who went on to become the 30th president of the United States was a man named Calvin Coolidge. History says that Calvin Coolidge, as the vice president, was chairing in the Senate chamber, which is a responsibility of the vice president. One occasion while he was chairing the debate taking place on the Senate floor, two senators found themselves on opposite ends of an issue. The debate quickly became heated, turned into a vitriolic argument. It became so hot that one senator turned to the other and said, Sir, you can go straight to hell. The senator that had that charge leveled at him knew that his fellow senator has now breached the decorum of the Senate. The Senate chamber is not an alley. It's not a barroom brawl. There's certain procedure that's to happen here. We're better than that. And he made an appeal to the chair, which was at that time again Vice President Coolidge. He said, Mr. Chairman, my fellow senator has charged me to go to hell. And I know that that is not in proper parliamentary procedure. He has violated the sanctity of the Senate. And I'm asking you to make a ruling in the matter. Historians say that the whole time this was taking place, that Calvin Coolidge was flipping through the pages of Robert's Rules of Order, which govern such meetings as the Senate. It's proper procedure. He flipped through those pages while silence settled over the Senate chamber, and he said, Senator, you have been charged to go to hell by your fellow member of the Senate. You've asked for me to make a ruling. I will now render it. He said, I have read the rule book. You don't have to go. <laughs> Saints of God, I've told you about a horrible, horrific place called hell. It's in the heart of the earth. It was designed by God for the devil and his angels. The majority of the human race is going there. Its punishments are beyond description. It's built for time and eternity. From it, there is no escape. But I've read the rule book, and you don't have to go there. You don't have to go.